Hello and welcome to the Peru Travel Podcast. I'm your host, David Kozlowski. Alongside of me is Charlie Thompson, and we are currently recording live from the Logue Road studio. Dave, it's going to be a great night tonight. Yeah, Will. You know, I did my best radio voice right there. Did that Did that work out? Let me try mine. Welcome to the Peru Travel Podcast. I'm your co-host, Charlie Thompson. With, with me is David Kozlowski. I flubbed a little bit. <laughs> well, not everyone's perfect. It's all right. We're learning. Uh, just so everyone knows it's listening, we wanted to start a Peru travel podcast. Why? Because we love Peru. And uh, currently, we've been just totally digesting and, and really getting our hands deep into what Peru is. And we thought the best way of doing this would sort of was to create a podcast, talk about it, learn with you. And if you have any questions, obviously let us know and we'll do some research, do some digging, and hopefully we can you know, learn as we go about why Peru is so great, why you should go see Peru. And uh, yeah, I think it should be on everyone's bucket list so far based off what I've seen. And what you guys don't realize that is I'm learning right alongside with you. I'm just as green as probably most of you guys listening to this show. Um, so I'm so excited to learn along right alongside you guys. Uh, David is a fantastic host and we should learn lots of great, interesting facts also about some Peruvian culture. Um, and just so many interesting things. I jumped on board and I can't wait to get down to the nuts and bolts. That's right. That was beautiful. Thank you for the compliments. So for our first episode, we're going to be talking about the top five things you need to know about Peru. So the first one that I want to bring up is Lima. Now, Lima is something that I see on everybody's webpage, right? It's always like, don't skip Lima. And I want to really emphasize this, right? Like this is one point where when I was going to Peru, I really wanted to just go straight to Cusco. And the reason for that was because that's where, like, that was my adventure. That was what brought me to Peru, right? It was Machu Picchu and, like, the hiking on the Inca Trail and everything. It was, like, Indiana Jones, you know, looking for some lost treasure of the Incas. And I wanted to skip through the city. And the guy that we were with, one of my good friends, best friend, Kevin, uh, he said to me, we can't skip Lima. And I'm so thankful for that. And there's a, a few reasons why we want to go through them because a lot of people talk about what Lima is, but they really don't digest and really tell you what Lima is uh, to its core. And so we want to kind of bring up a couple points and hopefully we don't miss things. Obviously, there's a, it's a big city. Mila Flores is a great area in Lima. Uh, but let's talk about Lima. It's a crazy random story. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we were walking down through Mila Flores and uh, we stumbled upon a restaurant. Okay, now... We walked into this restaurant, sat at the bar, got some drinks. And let me tell you, the drinks, first of all, were the most amazing drinks you could ever imagine have. Guy was pulling on a blowtorch. He was blowing flames on this like whipped cream type thing. It was delicious. It was incredible. And a guy from Sweden sits down next to me at the bar. He looks to his right. He asks me, now believe this or not, he asks me, do you know where you are? And of course, my response is, is uh, Lima, Peru? Like, what do you, what do you tell somebody? in that situation. And so I tell him that I'm, I'm, I'm in Lima and he laughs. And he's like, you're at Del A Central or something, something along the lines of that. He got really fancy with his words. And I was like, Central? Like, oh, this is that restaurant that we couldn't get reservations to. So needless to say, we stumbled in randomly to a bar, which mind you, supposedly you're supposed to have reservations ahead of time when it, when it comes to going to this bar even. Uh, and the reservations to book out at the restaurant are like months in advance. 
And this is not what I would recommend to anybody going to Lima. This was seriously just by chance. But what happened was, is this guy tells us we're at Central. And I'm like, oh, this is that restaurant that we're supposed to check out. Let's go see if we can get uh, a table. So we run up to the host and we get a table. And mind you, just to give you guys some background story, this is by uh, Chef Virgilio Martinez, who's like one of the best chefs in the world. It's voted the fifth best restaurant in the world. Okay, we just stumbled into this place. Like, how ironic. Anyways, the host tells us that he's got one table left. And when I tell you one table, it was by the door. You could feel the heat waves coming in every time somebody walked through. Waiters were bustling by you. And needless to say that we got a table. Now, the bill was roughly... I think around $300 for the fifth best restaurant in the world. And that Swedish guy, the Swedish guy walked by us again, actually. And he said, so how much was your bill? And I said, I was like $300. He said, well, you want to know what? Anywhere else in the world, you'd have probably paid $1,000. It was worth every penny, wasn't it? it? You know, so here's my thing on that. I think you would have enjoyed this place a little bit more than I would, Charlie, because I'm not a fan of the small itty bitty meals that you get not saying that what this guy does is not amazing because it really was and the food was great uh it was just different it was an acquired taste and it wasn't something that I, like i was like super passionate about in fact the best meals and we'll get into that later the best meals i got were in we're in cusco uh but uh besides that this restaurant if you're if you're a foodie this is the place for you right and i know you're a foodie charlie and I would recommend if you were going to Lima, this would be the place to definitely make reservations to and go. It sounds like it's going to be my first stop. So uh, two other things that are, excuse me, a couple other things. One is chocolate in Lima is really good. And I know that sounds strange, but we, we stumbled into a chocolate factory. And I guess a lot of chocolate comes from Peru. This is something that uh, was new to us. We didn't really know that. Uh, the ceviche in Lima. We went to this small village outside of Mila Flores. Not, not small village, small city rather. The ceviche was phenomenal. Uh, it was it was really good. It's fresh, obviously. It's it's right from the ocean right away uh, that morning. Excuse me. And <clears throat> bicycling. This is pretty crazy, but you can rent bicycles like you can in the states. And uh, we rented a bicycle. And we just went pedaling through Lima, all the way through Mila Flores, just had a fun time sightseeing and stopping at places. There's like random on the beach, there's like random like outdoor gyms. We met a guy who is uh, an American doctor who has a, a disease. It was, it was a really sad story, but he was out there doing like handstands on P-bars and stuff. And, and if you don't know what P-bars, is parallel bars and gymnastics. It's incredible, really interesting story. And needless to say, when you're, when you're bicycling or walking through a city, you tend to like open your eyes a little bit more, right? You tend to to kind of take in what's around you. You start meeting people. You have to ask questions too. I mean, any person that we saw that didn't look Hispanic, we were asking questions because we were like, hey, you probably speak English. Like, where do we go to find this place? And typically everyone was really helpful. Uh, it's just a great environment for one. And two, I think because you're on the ground walking instead of taking a cab to like the next museum or the next restaurant, you're forced to really get to know the culture. And that's personally my favorite part about traveling is the culture. Uh, aside from that, the last thing I want to bring up is the, I'm probably going to butcher this and get yelled at for this after, but the, the Museo Alarco, maybe I got that right. So this was not something that was on my list that I wanted to see. It was kind of weird for me, but Kevin insisted that we did it and I'm glad we did it. Very interesting. Uh, again, back to that eclectic taste aspect. This is a museum with literally I guess we're all adults here. A bunch of penises and a bunch of vaginas on pots. <laughs> like it's 
I'm surprised that's not your favorite place, Dave. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, it's strange, but the, the Peruvian culture back in the day was like, for whatever reason, sex and, and sex things were just a big deal to them. I, I don't know the history behind all this. All I know is that everywhere we went, there was literally like, you couldn't find a pot with a, with a, with a giant erect penis on the pot. It was, it was nuts. Not for, <laughs> I think for some of you out there. This will be the first place you go. And for some of you out there, you'll probably never want to go. I think it makes a great date night. It probably, yeah. <laughs> if you're taking your girlfriend to Peru, the first place you should t- stop is Misera Lar- Larco. Mis- 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 I think Misio means like museum potentially. Misero Larco. There's no R. You kind of screw that There's up. No R. But that's okay. Uh, number two. So the second reason that you need to go to Peru, we got done talking about Lima. The second reason is the food. Now, this is something that I actually still like. I'm not a foodie guy, but the food in Peru was so fantastic. And, and, and I can't stress how amazing it was. Like, so our travel doctor was like, hey, if you try anything funky, because it's, you know, it's like a pretty bad place for food. It wasn't bad. But he's like, anytime you try something funky, make sure you pop two Pepto tablets. All right. That's the quick tip for you from our travel doctor. He says to do this. Great. We were there on New Year's Eve. And one of the things we had to try was street food. And it was probably the best tasting thing we ever had. This is where it's going to get kind of like weird, but we tried cow heart. It was amazing. It was like, it had some sort of like gravy on it. And there's a video of me. This is, it's kind of hilarious. There's a video of me talking to a local and he's, and I don't speak Spanish whatsoever. And I'm pretty sure he told me that I was eating cat, but I know he was messing with me because he laughed and walked away. But I was like freaking out at first. Like, what? Uh, it wasn't. It was cow heart. But it, anyways, it was amazing. It was super delicious. Uh, can't say enough about the food there. Uh, alpaca and llama, llama, is a must. Please eat it. People, like, we were on the plane. We were so nervous that if we asked if we could eat llama, that it would be, like, frowned upon because it's, like, their national, you know, uh, animal. No. It's, everyone eats it. It's delicious. Uh, guinea pig, what they call kui is a, uh, a, literally, it is what it is. You eat a guinea pig. They fry it up, you eat it. It's a delicacy in Peru. And it's, yeah, I mean, it was all right. It was like a super dark meat. Well, that's that, that, based on my research, I mean, I know you've been there, but based on my research, that it's a delicacy, almost like, you know, like whale blubber is delicacy, like in Greenland. Um, and it's absolutely horrible. Yeah, side note, you, have you tried whale blubber? I know you went to Greenland. I have. Have you really? I have. I did. Where did? Where the hell did you try whale? Because I never. I don't think did I try whale blubber. No, no. But we both went to Thule, Greenland, and uh, I was actually with the locals uh, in their dorm. This was like on a base of about five hundred people, and they were. We were talking about food, and one of the uh, local Greenlandic. He was actually an Eskimo. Um, him and, and another girl that I had met. They were like, have you ever tried whale blubber? And I was like, no, I've never tried, tried whale blubber. <laughs> let's, uh, let's give it a shot. Why not? Because to them, it's, it's a delicacy. They love it. And I popped the piece in my mouth and I literally wanted to spit it out. And they were like, no, you can't spit it out. This is like frowned upon if you spit this out. And uh, I ended up swallowing it, but it was absolutely disgusting. I'm not sure. Guinea, guinea pig probably sounds better than that. Yeah, it definitely seems better. That's crazy. I didn't know that you tried that. I did. That's nuts. So when I go to Peru, I'm definitely trying guinea pig. I'll try anything. I'll try anything once. Most. Right. 
literally almost I'll try anything. I, I don't think there is has been anything that I've like flat out turned down, but it's possible. You know, there was a there was something in Africa that I think I turned down, but it was probably because I didn't get it. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, the next thing that I want to throw out is obviously ceviche. We talked about that briefly, but ceviche is delicious in Peru. Um, Lima, no. it's fresh. Go ahead. For those that don't know, what is ceviche? Yeah, so my understanding of ceviche is like, now this is my understanding, my interpretation is like a fish that is raw, so it's like almost like sushi, but it's got like lime and uh, a bunch of other things uh, all over it. Uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just delicious. It's like sour. It's like a sour process, uh, product. It's I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, that's, that's all I got. Well, for those of the... For those of you that want to look it up on Google, it's saying that it's a marinated raw fish, typically as an appetizer, and it's uh, and and garnished with lime. There you go. That's where so, the sour comes from. Man, look at what would we do without Google. Welcome to 2017. It's it's a beautiful thing. Do you know all those old DJs back in the day or like podcasters probably had to like well before podcasts they they had to like write all this stuff down and we just we're just popping up the cell phone and. And Googling it. <laughs> so outside of that, the the other ones I want to mention are fusion restaurants. This was this is probably a common thing and I just don't know about it. And I'm not educated in restaurants, like I said. But fusion restaurants in Peru were phenomenal. Like they would find a way to mix like Asian food with Peruvian food or whatever, and it was delicious. So if you see a place that says fusion restaurant, especially in Cusco, off the uh, next to the the um uh the square check it out eat it it was the best meal i had in all of peru it was a was this random fusion restaurant i don't know the name of it but it was it was amazing it was in cusco off the square uh coca tea coca tea is delicious i drank it a lot a lot a lot and uh coca plant is actually legal there so they mix like they make breads with it they and it's really um well i guess the bread the coca tea bread tasted like uh i would be eating pot because it smelled like marijuana. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't smoke pot, but I mean, it just, it like smelled like marijuana. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm eating weed right now. Hmm. Yeah, just hmm, that's all you have for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. So, oh yeah, and the street food for anybody who wanted to know, it's like pronounced, it's beef heart shish kebabs, but it's like anticio de corazon. That was our our buddy Kevin actually went in and wrote that down for me because uh. He could obviously hear that I didn't know what I was talking about and the actual terminology. But on to the next. No, no. before you go to the next, I'm throwing Ooh. one in there on you. Okay, what is because it? Because I love history. Okay. I love history. One of the reasons I love Peru is, is the history of it. And we'll get to that um, maybe in another show. But it's uh, on the food side, what's very interesting to me, and I did not know this at all, because when you think about potatoes, uh, you think – uh, Ireland, oh, or for yeah. those in America, you would think Idaho, the land of the potatoes, but potatoes actually came from Peru. And I looked this up because I couldn't believe it when I read it. Um, but the Peru originated when the Spanish conquistadors the, the came. The Peru? The Peru originated? The potato. <laughs> potato. When the Spanish conquistadors came to Peru, they... Uh, they planted the potato there. It, it ended up flourishing, and they they ended up being one of the biggest uh, trades back to Europe. Was the potato, and they realized potato. They realized potato, potato. They realized that this potato was so easy to grow and such a great source of, of food that it just exploded from there. But yes, not Idaho, not Ireland. I know Ireland had the Great Famine, but it was actually 
Peru. Does uh, this is like maybe a random? Coca Cola has nothing to do with McDonald's, does it? No, not at all. Nothing, right? Well, I mean, they're not the same company, but they work together. So they so they work together. So ironically, two things from Peru come out of McDonald's. Because hear me out, hear me out. There's there's, there's a connection here. Potato, potato, and Coca Cola is the only company in the United States, as far as I know, who still imports coca leaves. Um, because they got grandfathered in back in the day because it's one of their main elements that they use in Coca-Cola. Now, that, now they used to use cocaine in Coca-Cola. Right. I, I don't that. think that's not legal, obviously. But they do use the coca leaf, if I'm not mistaken. I, I looked it up after I got back from Peru because was. it's the only company that's allowed to import coca leaf. Now there and there's no like illegal substance part of it. No, I think I think making cocaine. I'm not. <laughs> you're welcome, not. A, welcome you're to not. Our, a, yeah. you're not an expert on that, are well, you? <laughs> welcome to our show. We're going to teach you how to make cocaine today. Now I don't. I don't know how it works. But We're I think joking, it's like, FBI. Yeah, it's yeah. a joke. I think it's like ground up, maybe potentially like lay it out and dry, put chemicals in it. I don't really know, but but so okay, so like the cocoa tea or the coca tea. Yeah, it, it does. It didn't really. It there's caffeine in it, I think, too, and, and it does make you more alert. But I didn't experience any. I've never tried cocaine, but I've never experienced any cocaine-related symptoms. I don't think I wasn't trying to clean the apartment. How about that or the the hotel? I think that's. I just correlate like when somebody does cocaine, they want to clean. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, on all to right, moving on. Number three, and that is as we all know, we know about Machu Picchu, but number three is the Inca Trail. Now. Age. So this is this is something that I that there's like a misconception. Okay, <clears throat> everyone just assumes that to do the Inca Trail you have to be twenty some years old to forty something. That's false. So the age actually people families can take their babies on the Inca Trail. Now, granted, I personally wouldn't. That'd be a lot of work. Uh, but you can like backpack the baby. I don't. Know, what do they call those things, Shirley? You know, I just had a kid and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, like a uh, bonjour, maybe. I don't know. Yes, that, actually, that sounds very familiar. But um, but I, you know, I carry my baby in my arm. Um, you carry him through all the whole Inca Trail? No, I would never do that. Okay, all right. But yes, bonjour or something like that. Sure. I think that's that that looks right in my head. Yeah. So. Inca Trail, you can bring your babies. Uh, teens can go. Uh, minors can go. We, I was on the trail, and there was like a 12-year-old, I think, that was hiking with his parents. Super cool to see. Uh, the, and his sister as well. In fact, that kid beat us every single day. And if there's Inca Trail is not an easy trek, all right? That's definitely something that takes a little bit of training, but it's worth it. And I'm going to give you some tips as to, as to what to do to make it worth it uh, But and, and to make it easier for you. But I'm telling you right now that – this kid whooped our butts. I mean, well, think about this, David. Right? Everybody talks about renewable energy or clean energy. If they, if we could harness the energy that the, that children have, where is this going, man? I'm just saying, if it's unbelievable the <sighs> amount of energy that you know, let's say five year olds to twelve year olds have. I mean, they can. It's like the Energizer Bunny; they just keep going and going and going. I'm just saying, if we could take just a little bit of that stored in yeah. a battery, we could power the whole world probably. Yeah, I'm just saying, man, I'm just going to come up with something crazy, but I can't. I'm just saying if I ate tacos every weekend and we could just turn it into a million dollars, then hey, hey, hey. Uh, the next one. I'm just saying that's why you got beat. Yeah, (laughs) is a guide. So this is something that I think is a misconception, too, is everybody seems to think that you can do the Inca Trail by yourselves. And that was something that I wanted to do. I told Kevin, I was like, I really want to do the Inca Trail, just us. Just, you know, let's 
you can guide us. You're an outdoorsy man. You got a beard and you're bald. No. First thing he said to me was, uh, yeah, bro, so I'm pretty good with outdoors, but I'm not going to go explore the Andes Mountains by myself. And thankfully, uh, the government has actually made it where you can't do the Inca Trail without a licensed guide. I think there's been a lot of issues. One is, honestly, is, so these are like ancient footsteps or uh, ancient stones that you're walking on. And so it's really hard to just like let random people go walking on them. I mean, they could damage them. They could use their metal, metal poles, which we'll talk about poles in a second. And uh, it, they just want to preserve it, make sure everybody's kind of doing the right things. And it's a lot safer anyways to go with a guide because they bring cooks and they bring tents and they bring everything else, which is great. <clears throat> and that's, yeah, I mean, whether that's right or wrong, whatever, where this is not a political podcast, but <laughs> but you can, I think what, and what you're alluding to, David, is that there is a lot of rules and regulations when it comes to the, the Inca Trail. You can't just... Hop on a, a jet, fly down to Peru, and just hop on the Inca Trail, right? Right. I mean, even and I know we're probably gonna get to do this, but you you need for the for the altitude, especially for most Americans that don't live in the mountains. Obviously, most Americans don't, or, or Europeans. We don't live high up in the mountains, and this is it, it's a very elevated trail that gets up to fourteen thousand feet. So. Yeah, I mean, and with the elevation too, like you're actually supposed to, it's suggested, especially if you uh, travel through. A lot of the companies is uh, you're supposed to be able to show up two days before you travel on the ink trail and your doctor can prescribe you a diamox it's called which is a drug and you start taking it two weeks prior because altitude sickness is real it is so real i got some slight headaches it wasn't that bad but coca tea uh is also something that can help you according to the locals i i drank it. I, I did have a headache the first day um yeah, so uh, medical. So another thing is there, are, there is medical staff that's on the trail. Typically, they've got like a first aid kit for you. Bathrooms, there are bathrooms along the way. Uh, you can, they're not, I mean, they're, I didn't use a bathroom that, well, okay, I did. Uh, how do you, how do you do this? The It's camping. We'll just say that. The bathrooms that are used, you got to imagine that there's 500 people a day that can go on the Inca Trail, I think. Three to 500 people. That's that many people using the bathroom and it's in the middle of nowhere. So cleaning probably isn't the top priority. So basically what I'm trying to say is they're filthy. Bring TP, put it in your bag, be discreet, go somewhere, hide it, come back. Uh, so yeah, it's like camping. Um, what to leave at home. You know, we're going to go ahead and put that in the tips and tricks. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, no. So what to leave at home. So a lot, I don't know about most companies, Charlie and I, we, and, and Kevin, he's not here today. Uh, we operate a company called Kachi. We help locals. We, we met a, a local when we were on the trail on the Inca Trail. Loved him. His name is David. Heard his story. Heard about some competition issues he's run into in Peru. We decided, hey, you know what? We want to help this guy. We want to help his, the community that he works in. And we want to start a company that basically gets tourists from America, Canada, Europe, whatever. Bring them to Peru and sort of help this community. And we can't help all of Peru, but we want to help uh, in small doses and then hopefully expand and get bigger. But here and there... We do two, three tours, uh, three trips. We do the Inca Trail, Machu Picchu, and Sacred Valley. Uh, for us, when you travel with us on the Inca Trail, I can speak for us and only us, leave your tent at home, leave your sleeping bag at home, leave your sleeping pad at home, cooking equipment, and food. Now, the food one, I'm going to put a slight note on there because uh, my girlfriend brought food, and it was all gone by the second day. So if you like to eat a lot of food, bring food. 
And I think it's more like those that are snacky people, right? Right. Sure. I mean, I was glad we brought extra food because there is a lot of calories, but you're working all day. I mean, you're, we don't hike this every day at home. So yeah, it's a lot of work. So the total trek is over 20 miles, right? Man, you're pulling, I'm not a, I don't, yeah, sure. We may have to do another Google search. All right, do it up. So the next one on the list is Machu Picchu. Now this one's pretty self-explanatory. I'm going to kind of just let you just use your brain for a minute. (laughs) It's, uh, it's uh, it, it's Machu Picchu. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's cool to look at. Uh, and, and with that too, we're gonna do a little slash because uh, the guy who is helping us write these notes decided to throw in a sixth note. And we're gonna go ahead and just say four and five or four and four. Excuse me. The fifth one we're gonna bump up is the Nazca lines, which it's basically images of art on the ground. This one's like kind of confusing to me. I had I didn't see it, but I know it exists. And if you can look up uh, photos online on on the internet, basically it it's these images that are of I don't know art. It's, it's hard to explain. And people are like, oh, aliens did it. I mean, these Peruvians did it, and yeah, it's old, it's ancient, and so that's something to definitely take a look at. Uh, and the last one, the fifth one, we're gonna go over some Peru tips and tricks. So, tip number one. All right, actually, we're not gonna break it down like that. We're just gonna go ahead and throw them out there. So one is uh, food. We gave you that one. Um, on the Inca Trail, poles. So one thing that uh, I think a lot of people make is they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy hiking poles when I get to Peru." That's a big problem, and here's why it's a problem. They get those poles from the rainforest. All right, so just bite your lip. Go buy a pole on Amazon. Right, a hiking pole, mind you. You're gonna want hiking poles, so just go buy one. And some people are like, well, I mean, they they offer a great deal. I'm helping the local economy. Sure, you are, but they're also killing the rainforest. And if you're wanting to help the local economy and you believe in that mentality, why would you want to kill the rainforest to do it? I could be wrong. Maybe some people have that that vision, but I feel like most people who are interested in helping local economies also don't want to kill the rainforest. So, uh, yeah, and the poles aren't that great anyways. What are you going to do? Put them in your bag? You can't. They're they're made out of wood. The ones in the United States, they, they go down into... Uh, you know, bag size, you can put them on your bag, in your bag, whatever. Uh, aside from that, the next tip that I want to throw out there is uh, the crime. So people claimed, I read all over, you know, people, the, the cabs, you can get your windows busted in, they'll steal your stuff. I never ran into an issue once. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't crime, there's crime anywhere, but be vigilant. It's not bad. It's probably like New York City in, in retrospect. It wasn't horrible. I, I took a, a cab at like midnight. And we got to our hotel just fine. Didn't have any issues. So I wouldn't worry about that. It's And, and a lot of people who are seasoned travelers are going to be like, why would I ever worry about that? But there's a lot of people who are new, who are wanting to go to Peru. It's a, it's a new, it's a foreign country. They don't speak the language. They're going to diversify themselves. They're going to get submerged into an area of the world that they're not comfortable with. Be comfortable. These people love you. They, they want you there. They're usually, everyone that we met was super nice. Very happy that we were there. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the crime. It's probably like anywhere else. I mean, you, you protect your valuables. You, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take, you know, five grand on the Inca trail. I mean, there's no reason for it. Right. So it's, it's like anywhere else, you know, protect your stuff and, and don't worry. And you wouldn't, and you don't really have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up another tip is hire a porter, a half porter. I think they're called, uh, we offer them at Kachi. So here's why. You're on vacation. And that was something David kept preaching to us. He was always like, you're on vacation. Be on vacation. 
here I am with like a 38 pound pack with film gear climbing the Inca trail miserable. If there's anything that I would do differently, I hire someone to carry my stuff. It's um, employing someone else, which is great. And here's the thing too. Swallow your pride. I get it. You're strong. You're buff. You're manly man. You want to carry your own equipment. You do CrossFit. You do whatever you do. Go do it. You're going to hate yourself (laughs) if it's a heavy bag. Um, Here's why this is important. Okay. So what happens is, is you end up hiring a porter midway through. The first day you go through, you're like, oh, I don't need one. Second day hits, crap, now I need one. And then when you hire that second that second day, you're potentially putting these porters overweight, which, which I mean, they have like a weight limit that's regulated essentially like so they don't kill themselves or hurt themselves. No, they're going to kill themselves, but they could fall. They could hurt themselves. I mean, this is steep declines, and if they have a ton of weight on them, they're top heavy, they could fall right over, and it could really hurt them. Uh, and by you purchasing that half porter a day or two later, you could potentially put somebody else in danger. Uh, I just stomach my pride, pay for it ahead of time, and be done with it. It really makes a big difference. Even if they're carrying your sleeping bag and sleeping pad, it's it's a it's a big difference. Uh, yeah, and I think those are uh, all the tips and uh, I've got. But real quick though, the proper name for a porter is, and explain why. So there's a debate right now. It's a big debate. Yeah, this is frustrating actually because I call him a Chesky. And Kevin calls him a Chosky, all right? I call him a Chesky. I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't speak Quechua, all right, which is the local language of uh, Peruvians, uh, or was previously. But here or there, I want to call it a Chesky. He calls it a Chosky. I, I don't know what the difference is. But basically, if you Google up a Chesky or a Chosky, it is essentially a, uh, a messenger back in the Inca times. They were well-respected people. What's great about this is David will not let you call the people carrying your bags, AKA porters. He won't let you call them porters. And the reason is, is that these are farmers from the local villages that are working with Kachi to be able to spend time, their vacation, if you will, to see the Andes, to appreciate Mama Pache. That's a new one for you, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So Mama Pache, man, let me tell you that. That is a, that was like the big thing they talked about. Anytime they drank, a, uh, you know, like a, uh, alcohol, Coca-Cola, you name it. They dump a little bit down on the ground for Mama Pache, who I believe is sort of just like Mother Earth. It's like, it's super spiritual. It's beautiful. But this guy is so proud of his community. He will not let you call them porters because he feels as, as if porters are not respected. And the word Chesky is a very, Chosky is a very well-respected name for someone carrying your equipment. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. Uh, just the, the respect that this guy's got for these people. And uh, it made me appreciate him a lot more. Made me appreciate what we were doing. And uh, yeah, that's uh, a lot more tips and tricks like that to come as we progress and we kind of think about things. Oh, we should probably mention this, but uh, I think that sums up our uh, very first podcast episode coming up on 32 minutes. We're, we're done, right? <laughs> so I guess we finish it. Charlie? Man, it's been just a great time tonight. Uh, I've learned a lot. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I'm from Tennessee, by the way, so y'all is going to come out a lot. Super, but, super uh, redneck. No, I've, I've definitely learned a lot. And uh, hit us up. Uh, email us at info at uh, Ask us some questions, what you want to know. Uh, the pos- podcast is going to be available at kachilife.com. Uh We're going to also have it out on several mediums, so you'll be able to find us pretty easy. Uh, just search Peru Travel Podcast. 
Right, David? Darn tootin'. There's my <laughs> redneck for you. <laughs> my Tennessean. All right, guys, thanks so much for catching up with us here at the Peru Travel Podcast. Again, I'm David Kozlowski. I'm Charlie Thompson. And we'll see you soon.